What's up, Hyperfast Nation? On this episode of the Hyperfast Wealth Show, we've got an amazing guest. Started out in real estate doing flips, and she got up to 15 a year before she decided to find ways to generate passive income and has now built up a self-storage empire. We had an amazing discussion about how anyone can get started and just the deal flow range, how to get the deals, fund them, how to operate them. Welcome to the show, Stacy Rossetti. Welcome to the show, Stacey. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for letting me come on and hang out with you today. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I know you've got a lot of great tips uh, and information to share you know, about how people can, can make more money, more passive income um, through a particular kind of, of real estate. And I think a lot of the real estate agents, real estate investors listening on this show today are going to get a lot out of it. Before we dive into that, though, why don't you introduce yourself and just give us a little bit of your background? Okay, so my name is Stacy Rossetti, and I have been investing in real estate for about 10 years now. I got into real estate investing on the upswing, right? On the upswing in like 2010, when you would go out and there'd be like hundreds of houses, you know, on the market, and they were all like foreclosures and, hor and horrible, you know? So, um, and I live, in I live in Georgia. I live in the, uh, the North Georgia mountains is where I live. And uh, we invest uh, throughout Georgia. Been doing that. I started out wholesaling and rehabbing. Did a lot of rehabs. I was one of those crazy people that did like 15 rehabs at a time. And, uh, and then uh, basically what happened was I got pregnant. When I got pregnant, I was doing 15 rehabs and I also had 15 rehabs in the pipeline. And I was just kind of like in my mind, like as a woman, I was thinking, how am I going to be managing all these rehabs? and have this like little tiny baby. And I had not focused at all on any passive income at all. It was just kind of like, I was more like volume and I was just like, I wanna just make all those big checks all the time kind of a thing, you know? So that's kind of what I focused on. So I had like really no, just a couple of houses here and there for passive income. And so what had happened is that I just basically told my realtor and I have a realtor that I've been working with for like 10 years that helps me to find properties and things. And I told him, I said, look, I really need to, like, I don't want to do rehabs anymore. I need to chill out. I need to work on passive income. Like, I'm a mom now. I need to be able to stay home. And so he went out and started looking for properties for me. And I looked at, like, multifamily. I looked at buying portfolios of houses. I looked at kind of, like, all the different ways that I could just, like, you know, you know roll all this money that I had from all these rehabs into something else. And, um, and so we just, what we're going to talk about today is basically what I got into, um, you know, and that's kind of where, and then from there, everything is just gone. I won't go back essentially is what I'm saying. Yeah. I think there's a ton to unpack there, you know, just, just a lot of, a lot of, a lot of great points that your, you know, your background kind of, kind of brings up. I mean, the, those those flips can be highly, highly profitable if you, if you know how to do it right. And, um, you know, but unless you have like another operator, uh, it can be very time consuming and, uh, you know, particular if, if, you know, 
you're a new mother and and have a you know infant at home and and my wife's going through that right now it's just mm-hmm. a lot of uh a lot of time and and uh an effort and energy has to go there so yeah i, I definitely think you know looking at the past passive ways uh you know things that you hold on to there's there's a ton of value there and and it sounds like you you kind of went through that, explored a lot of different options, and then for whatever reason, which I'm sure we'll get into, landed on self-storage. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So looked at a lot of different options, looked at multifamily, rehabbing multifamily. I just didn't want to do any more rehabs. I was just tired of it. And um, and so we just decided like we, so what happened was our realtor had found a storage facility that was about 20 minutes away from our house. And uh, it was on the MLS and it had been on the MLS for five years and nobody had bought it. Now this is back in the day when things would sit on the market for like five years and like nobody would buy these things, right? So, but um, the, and the reason why it had been sitting on the market for so long is because the owner had it priced, essentially what happened was that the owner had it priced at what the price should have been if it was 100% full, right? And um, instead, I mean, but the property was like completely mismanaged, completely mismanaged. It was like a dumpy property. And so my, my realtor told me about, he said, look, go look at this thing. He's like, it's been on the market for five years. There's something going on. And so I drove over and took a look at it. And so me as a rehabber looking at this property, I was like, I fell in love with it because it was like the dumpiest, ugliest property you could ever imagine, right? A lot of people will be like really scared of these properties. But the truth of the matter is, is with mismanaged properties, and there's five different ways for you to invest in self-storage. One of them is mismanaged properties. With mismanaged properties, essentially, it's, there, you, there's so much value add, so much value add that in the end, your property is worth double, if not more, of what you bought that property for, if you know what you're doing, if you know what you're doing, right? And so, yeah, I went to go look at this property and I just fell in love with it. And it was like, it was on three acres and it had 64 units. I didn't know how many units. I just saw kind of like a long skinny building is what I saw with a whole bunch of doors. And then I saw parking all the way around the facility. And the parking was like, you could tell the the owner was just like, yeah, go find a spot, you know, kind of a thing. And it was just like not parked properly. And, uh, you know, and then like when you drove up to the facility, right where the gate was, it was gated, it, you know, it was gated, it had a nice gate, but like right to the left side of the gate was like probably 500 tires, right? Okay. So like when you're driving up to a facility and you just see like all these like tires, you're just like, oh, this place is like, you know, this place is bad. And so I just like got super excited, you know, because it's like me with this rehabber inside of me. When you see like these dumpy houses, you get all excited and stuff. So it's the same thing with a storage facility. And I really love that it was just like right around the corner for me as well, too. So I didn't have to drive around and I drive far, you know, because when you because the thing is, is that when you buy a storage facility, people don't keep this in mind. But when you buy a storage facility, you're buying a business. Essentially, you're literally you're just buying another person's business is what you're doing or building a business. And, um, you know, when I teach my students, essentially, I teach them in like, it's like my, I call it my three-step process, which is finding them, funding them, and running them. And the truth of the matter is, is in self-storage investing, finding them and funding them is the easy part. The hard part is running them. 
and running them, essentially, you don't want to become one of the properties that I will buy in the next three to five <laughs> years. You know what I'm saying? And all those properties, I only buy, mis I pretty much only buy mismanaged properties. And do you, do you hire a manager? Do you manage them yourself? Do you use, I, I know there's like national firms that will kind of franchise that that out as well so what, what's well, your so i focus on i focus on properties that are a million dollars or less okay? okay so um so when you buy properties that are a million dollars or less essentially you don't really need people to manage these properties i mean when you have like let's just say 200 units or less and in in the self-storage investing world people talk about they talk about units as in like, it's not like in the multifamily world where you say doors, essentially in the self-storage world, you talk about like square footage, really you talk about square footage, population and square footage. But just to give you all an idea, like if you have like 200 units or less, um, it's very, very little effort to run them on a long-term basis if you set up the foundations of your business properly on the front end, right? So like this very first property that I bought that I was telling you about, I mean, it took us like 18 months. It literally took us 18 months to turn a profit and to figure out how to run this thing because we had no idea what we were doing. I mean, there's no like teachers or gurus really out there that teach like how to invest in self-storage. You just kind of have to figure it out most of the time, right? And so like, it took us 18 months to figure out how to properly run that business. And when I run, when I say run a business, run a self-storage uh, business, I'm talking about making it truly passive income. Right, so that means that, so right now, so we have eight facilities. We have, we have probably around, I guess, like, I guess maybe 800 doors, 800, maybe 900 doors, something like this, okay? And um, like, and we can run our facilities from anywhere in the world. All right, and, so and this is with no with no, so no on-site manager. No on-site manager at all. So we have made these facilities truly systematized, automatic, contactless. So in the storage investing world, it's called contactless is what it's called. So, and uh, this really came about like during COVID. Now for us, we had been totally contactless since we started, you know, we started on the first facility. Um, so but, can you uh, like, through how how that works like how does it's all you know, just how, it's how all do people sign up and and get get a new unit how do they get the key and get in and access and security it's all web-based now okay. it's all web-based so essentially you have like an, you have a software program that manages your entire portfolio of facilities that you have okay and um, and then you have you have that software can even manage your gate access Right. Okay. So you can even have it to where they, you know, you can put the code in that generates a code. And then if they're late, it just turns that code off. If you wanted to go that far, if you wanted to do that. Right. But, um, but essentially it's, we have it to where it's completely contactless and, um, and uh, you just, it just takes a little while on the front end to get that, that set up. And so my, I see like my students are, it's taking them probably around three months now. Whereas remember my first deal, it took me 18 months to figure all this out. Within the first three months, I see my students like essentially within, um, 
like having everything all turned over. The tenants are all, there's a change of ownership. The tenants are all using, um, you know, their new system and they're going online doing their accounts or whatever. And you can even like, you'll have a website and you go like what they do is they just go on um, like anybody that wants to rent a unit will go online and just rent that unit right online. Okay. Right. So it's like, that's what I said, like, it's completely contactless. In fact, we have not met any of our tenants in years, <laughs> years. And so, and that's what I basically say is like, if you want to get into self-storage investing, don't make it a business, you know, make it like passive wealth. And that's what I love about self-storage investing is that it's investing in real estate, which I love. I'm a real estate investor. And, but at the same time, like it's completely virtual. So I can be like, so for instance, last year, my husband and I took my daughter and we did a four month vacation and we traveled around while everybody was freaking out about COVID. We went to 16 national parks in 16 weeks. And we did that all, uh, all from like May to August and, uh, and ran our storage facilities while we were doing that. And so, and that is truly passive wealth when you can do something like that. You know, that's like what everybody says, I'm gonna get into real estate investing. If you do wholesaling and rehabbing, guess what? You ain't gonna be able to do that. Sorry, it's just too hard. It's a job. Whereas like on the passive side, really truly making it so that it's completely virtual, you can do that in self-storage investing. So when you when you take over and add, you know, this contactless system after you purchase, are you, you know, do you increase, you know, decrease vacancies, increase rental rates, add other streams of income? Like what, what, um, you know, how are you, you know, making, you know, maximizing this? Well, so it's, it really depends on what type of facility that you want. Remember I said, I focus on a million dollars or less and my sweet spot is like anywhere from 200,000 to maybe 800,000, something like okay. that. Right. And the reason why is because I'm a hundred percent privately funded. So I remember I focus on mismanaged facilities and a mismanaged facility. What that means is that you cannot go to the bank and get a loan for this because in the commercial world, everything is just income based, right? It's like, it's like the banks are basically saying like, I'll give you this money just as long as you can prove that you can pay my pay the mortgage. And that's also, they're looking at essentially what they want is they want like previous tax returns. They want your rent roll, your P&L, your balance sheet. And so I personally, the types of properties that I buy, because I want that value add, I don't want to buy a business. It's, and this is all really based on your risk level. It really is, you know, so I'm like very like risk averse. So I'm just like, let's just do it, you know? And, um, on a mismanaged facility, essentially, you don't get anything at all. So I just bought one in January in Valdosta, Georgia. Okay, and uh, and the owner, he was 84 years old. And I, when I talked to him on the phone, I was like, "Look, um, I'm interested in buying your facility. Would you be interested in selling it?" And he was like, "Yes, I definitely want to sell." And I said, "Well, um, I said." I said, well, you know, tell me about it. And he told me he had 105 units. And, um, and I said, well, how much money are you making? And he said, I'm making probably like maybe less than $1,000, right? And I know by experience that when you're making, when you have 105 units, you should be making like five or $6,000 a month. All right, he's like, so obviously I knew that it was a mismanaged facility. No, right. it's kind of like it was mismanaged. 
But um, and uh, but the truth of the matter is, is that when we bought the facility and closed on it, we counted up the units, and he had 120 units. <laughs> he oh he thought he, he and he has had that facility for like 40 years. Can you imagine? He like so there's there are owners out there that literally have no idea what they have, what their what the value of it is, and how to run it and manage it. Right. And he was like, after like he said, after 20 years, he was like, I'm done with this thing. I just don't want to do it anymore. And um, and so we bought it and uh, we bought it for 200. We bought it for two hundred and seventy five thousand dollars. And within the next year, it's going to be worth like six hundred grand. And that is what I love about mismanaged facilities. And this is totally doable because I see my students doing this all the time. And, but the only thing with mismanaged facilities is that there's no banks that are going to be able to fund these types of deals. So you have to have private money in order to do that. And the thing with private money is that most people don't have a lot of private money and they don't want to just hand over, you know, 800,000 or a million dollars to you, right? They want to give you like a couple hundred thousand dollars, you know what I'm saying? So, um, so essentially we kind of stay in that sweet spot where like, you know, somebody can just give me three, $400,000 to buy a facility and whatever amount of money that they have, I just go buy it. I find a facility for that price basically. And that's why, so we're hundred percent privately funded and we buy mismanaged facilities. Now with do you, once, once you, uh, improve them and get, you know, a year or two of good statements or whatnot do you do you go out and get bank funding at that, at that time? exactly yeah so you need to have like so it's going to take you probably like depending on how uh mismanaged it is but probably about a year to get that thing fully up and running and then turning a profit now with a bank you need to have like two years of tax returns that show that you're making a profit so when I borrow my money from my private lenders, essentially I'm borrowing it for three years, at least three years, if not longer. Most private lenders, if they're okay with three years, they're okay with five years. If they're okay with five years, they're okay with 10 years, right? You know, so when you find, when you find these types of lenders, they're okay with that because essentially it's just like an interest only payment for them for the next couple of years until I can start turning a profit. And then I will take those out, refi those out. And then that money that's left over, guess what? I just take that money and then I go buy another one. You know what I'm saying? So the bank yep. will finance that and then I'll just take that money and I'll go buy another one. And that's kind of how we're working. That's how we do ours, our stuff. But, but so mismanaged facilities, another thing with mismanaged facilities is that you have to know that you're going to be coming out of pocket every single month for that first year, right? So the type of person that should be, it's like, oh, this sounds awesome. I really want to do this. You have to know that you're going to have to go out and find people to fund these deals for you, which is hard. All right. And then number two is that you have to know that you have to come out of pocket every single month for these types of deals. That's mismanaged facilities. Okay. If you don't want to do that, you can go out and buy the second type, which is income producing properties. Right. And actually what I'll do sometimes is I'll buy an income producing property just to offset my mismanaged properties. So for instance, I just closed on one yesterday and, um, and it's an income producing property because I'm going to have to come out of pocket for that Valdosta one. I'm going to have to come out of pocket, you know, $2,000 a month, right. So to get that for the, you know, for the next year to get that up and running. Right. 
And so now I'm like, okay, great. Well, I need to, um, you know, I need to find a property that's making, that's netting $2,000 a month. And then I'll, I'll take that $2,000 and then funnel it to the mismanaged property. So basically I'm making $0 on both of them, but I'm not having to come out of pocket. So, so, so I have two properties now, a mismanaged property and an income producing property. So together with both of those, I spent $500,000, but I'm making $0 for the first year. All right. And then after that first year, I'll start netting, you know, several thousand dollars on each of those. Right. And you know, I'll be able to refi out, you know, later. But then income producing property is one where the owners are like super proud. They're like, I got my tax returns. I got my PL statement. I've got my rent roll here. And the reason why is because they want the most money that they can possibly get, right? For that property. And that's how you should be running your facilities, right? You want to sell that at the highest amount of money that you possibly can. Well, guess what? In the commercial investing world, it's all income produced. So every penny that you make on that property needs to go and be honest. You can't pocket your cash. You should be taking cash anyways, because we're completely electronic. We don't take cash or checks, but you shouldn't be pocketing any of that money. You should be putting that all right into that income because you want, when you sell it on, you would sell it, you want that profit to be as high as you possibly can get. That's income producing properties. And some people are just not risk, risk, you know, some people are like, look, I don't want to do mismanaged properties. That's too risky for me. But I just like, I want to buy a business. I want to start making money right now. And maybe there's a little bit of value add on the upside. Maybe there's some land that you can expand on, or maybe the rates the you know, the monthly rates are not as much as you, it could be, you know, a lot of times you'll see that it's like, they're just not charging what they, they should you can be charging. charge more or you charge can, more. you can add more units, I guess, if there's exactly. Land. And that's okay. how you value add an income producing property uh, versus like a mismanaged property. So those are kind of like the two most popular types of facilities is, is, is mismanaged or income producing. And these are, and like I said, I focus on a million dollars or less, but, and you don't, you know, when you start getting into the big, bigger facilities, then um, you don't really find as many mismanaged properties, um, you know, because like, you know, when you're spending like two, three, four million dollars on a property, you ain't going to mismanage that thing, you know what I'm saying? But, um, but yeah, so those are basically the two most like popular in the investing world. And especially if you're like new to this and you're like, I just want to get started. What's going to happen is that you're going to start getting out there and start looking for properties and you're going to come across probably one of those two. Right. You're going to get you're going to come across one of those two. And then it's like and you have no idea what you're going to come across. Is it going to be a mismanaged facility or is it going to be an income producing property? And then when you say when you start looking for these and finding them, if it's a mismanaged facility and you can't find somebody to lend on that, guess what you can do? The third way to invest in self-storage is you can wholesale that property. You can wholesale it right? There are not enough wholesalers, wholesaling storage facilities in the world. There are way too many buyers looking on Crexy, looking on LoopNet, going to the MLS, trying to find storage facilities. And there's not enough wholesalers out there that are, that are going and finding off-market properties and selling them. And there's a definite need for that. So if you're a wholesaler listening to this, highly recommend considering wholesaling self-storage. Just as long as you know how to do it 
properly, right? Because you don't want to make a fool of yourself. The thing in the self-storage investing world is that it is a very small community of people, very, very small niche. So once you screw one deal up, like the whole community knows. So you got to be a good wholesaler. Hey, hold that thought for a minute. Do you have a client that needs to buy or sell a home in the DMV area? Then why not trust the highest selling team in the DMV, the Carrie Scholl team? We've helped thousands of buyers and sellers and would love to help your clients. And we guarantee we will save them time, money, and stress throughout the process. And they will be so grateful that you referred them to us. Go to carryshoal.com to learn more. Again, that's carryshoal.com to learn more about sending us your clients that need to buy or sell a home in the DMV area. That's carryshoal.com. What's, what's your typical, and, and I know we've got some other stuff to, to dive into, but your typical cash on cash returns and cap rates on the deals that you're, you're buying? Well, so for mismanaged facilities, you're buying like, I'm buying at like, you know, 0% cap rates. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm buying, I, on a mismanaged facility, you're buying those on the opportunity. Right. Right. The opportunity, so basically the way cap rate works is essentially in a primary market, in the self-storage investing world, in a primary market, which is like, you know, the downtown city, like cities, you know, stuff like this, essentially they're like five to 7% cap rates. Okay. So it's like typical when you get into a secondary market, right? So all these like burbs and kind of outside major, you know, areas of, of cities, you're getting into like eight to 9% cap rates. When you go into tertiary markets, right? Out in the middle of nowhere country, you're 10 plus, right? Also in the self-storage investing world, um, you want to, um, you want to focus on like, you have to figure out what, you know, how much can you afford, right? Because on an income producing property, you're going to have to put 20% down, right? So most of the time yep. it's like 20%. Like, so how much, how much of 20% can I come up with? Is it $50,000, $100,000, $200,000? I kind of reverse engineer. I ask myself like, how much money can I come up with? And then I say, okay, look, I can come up with $100,000. Okay, so that means I can afford X amount of dollars on a storage facility. And that means I can be either in like a secondary or a tertiary market, depending on where you live, right? So in the Atlanta market, I mean, storage facilities in the secondary market are still a million plus, you know? And so I'm out like, you know, I'm out in the tertiary markets is where I'm at. But um, so that's kind of like reverse engineering. Also, like if you want to do income producing properties, where it should be focusing on as well. But yeah, cap rates are like amazing. I'm going to tell you cap rates in the self-storage investing world are amazing. My students all focus on double digit cap rates. So the goal is buying them at an eight, either eight to 9% cap rate or 10 plus and getting it to a double digit cap rate. Yeah. Right? And, when, and when you do that with leverage, then your, your cash on cash is going to be. Yeah. It's awesome. And like so even then, higher. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and like, so this one, this Valdosta one that, um, that I just picked up, it's like, it was like a negative 2% cap rate when I bought it. I mean, like, of course, cause like there's no, it's not, it's literally not producing anything. It's just like, you know, I'm starting over from scratch essentially. But after we, after we get that thing completely full, uh, it's going to be worth like, it's like a 16% cap rate. It's just like, it's just like, I'm saying most of my facilities that I ever buy, I'm buying them, of course, on the like 
a, a horrible cap rate, but then in the course of one year, it's it's like 15 to 20% cap rate. That's that's pretty good numbers. <laughs> I mean, so, yeah, I mean, like you cannot get this in the um, most of the time in the multifamily world. You cannot find something like this. So, yeah, I love that's one that's one of the main reasons I love self storage investing. And like you'll get and, and the thing is is like now you kind of have an idea of mismanaged and like income producing properties. The question is like how do you find these properties, right? And then well. And you, you hit on wholesaling as well as, as the third way. Uh, what, what are the next? Well, next so and the <laughs> other two, the other two are, are doing developing or conversions, right? Okay. So this is like, if you're, if you're listening and you're like, look, I can come up, I can come up with a million plus dollars. Like, I know I can come up with, like, I talked to a guy the other day. He's like, yeah, I got like four to $6 million. So he should be focusing on like, you know, conversions or developing. What is what is that? You're you're buying land or or some other type of uh, building and you're converting it to. It's like yeah, it's like you know all these retail spaces that you see that are all empty and stuff now, and you see them all being converted to storage facilities. That's what we're talking about. So okay. I have a really good friend. Um, his name is Scott, and he goes like essentially what he does is he finds like old warehouses. And like downtown areas of cities and then he just converts those to storage facilities uh, you know like he just did one in Louisville and uh, so he's like that's conversion so and what that is with conversions is that um, it's all really about raising money it's about raising money and it's either about like syndicating that money or raising just raising private money or starting a fund all right, so if you kind of know that concept and know what I'm talking about, then, and you know you can come up with a couple million dollars, and his his properties are not that expensive. I think he spent like three million dollars on that property, which is really not a lot of money, honestly. That was the acquisition and, and like development cost. Okay, all, all in. in. Yep. Everything. Bought the building, reconverted it, and then it's now like building it up. And then what he does is he hires a management company to manage okay. it. You know, it's what he does. So then, then he's out. Uh, so he's focused basically on conversions, and um, and then and then the final one is new construction, new construction, right? And there, I'm telling you, there are not enough storage facilities in the world right now. Okay, uh, like I mean, I basically I was listening to a, a webinar from Marcus and Millichap. If y'all, I'm sure everybody knows what that yeah, is. Yeah, the commercial. Uh, yeah, commercial. commercial they're commercial firm. broker, but they also do a lot of like data research. And then they have these like webinars, like monthly webinars, like once every like, I think three months or six months, they do a self-storage uh, webinar. Of course, all of the, like the big players are on these webinars. So there's no like little guys like us or whatever, like U-Haul and public storage and QSmart all come on. And I just listened to the one like about a month or so ago, and they were all saying that they are completely full. These big, huge buildings that you guys see, that they run their numbers at like 80% full. I mean, they like never expect to be full in these huge facilities, right? Because there's always like a turnover. And they're saying that they're all full. They've never seen anything like it before. You know, and so there's, and what I'm saying is that there's a not enough storage facilities in the world. And what they said too was, um, if you own a storage facility and you're not full, that means you have, you're not running it properly. You said that, and that comes back to the running it, right? So if you have a storage facility, it's like we have eight facilities and they're all full. 
And um, so like, you know, if you're running facilities and they're not full, like it takes a little, it takes a little while to get them up and running, right? But after that, like you should be full. And um, so that's why I said, new construction is the way to go. New construction, if you have land or you know of where to how to get really good cheap land, you're always like, man, that'd be a great place for a storage facility. Just go talk to your city or your county or whatever it's at, and then see if it's like, you know, zoned the right way or whatever. And, um, and look- What, what are the costs of, of doing that? I mean, you're, you're probably, this is probably the highest cost one of everything we've, we've talked about so far. So what, what do people need to, what should they expect? On, on, on well, so you'll have to like, first you have to get the land, buy the land. So you have to come out of pocket for that. And then you're gonna have to make sure that it's like, if it's not graded, grade it. So get rid of trees, clearing, grading. So I don't know how every piece of property, how much it's gonna cost, you know, that's how big it is. You're gonna have to get like soil testing and like all the different tests and stuff that your county or city wants to get. So however much that costs. You also have to make sure they have to rezone, you know, if it has to be rezoned or not. Not. So most of the time, if it's zoned residential, they're not going to rezone it to commercial. Right. You have to find out that. And that takes time. That takes a lot of time. I just talked to one, I talked to, to one lady and um, she, they, they just built a brand new, I think it was like 150 units. They borrowed $500,000 to do this. Okay. 150 units. It took them three years to build it. Okay, so like to procure the land, grade, uh, do all the testing, permitting, drawings, all that kind of stuff. It took them like two and a half years. They finally got the, the permits and then they built that thing within like, you know, a couple of months, like six months, it was all built. And to build it, once you do all the preliminary work to build it is like, it's not, it depends on what type of building that you're going to build. Like if you just want like metal fabricated buildings, those run around $25 a square foot. Okay, so if you want to get into like some big, huge like facility, then of course it's going to go way up from there. But um, but those like this a typical storage facility that you think in your mind with the metal metal medical metal doors and stuff that comes that's like twenty five dollars a square foot. So that's basically the only really true cost I can get you, right? Other than that, it all depends on like where you are and like all the different things you have to do to the land. It's a lot of upfront cost. Right. Right, it's really a lot of upfront costs. If you have money or you know of somebody that has money, then that is a good, um, and she like, she got her property, this lady, she got her property appraised. Remember she borrowed $500,000 to do all that. She got it appraised, like what is it gonna be worth when it's full and it was $1.5 million, right? So you can triple your money right? So she'll make a million dollars on a new construction. Whereas like me with a mismanaged property, it's more like, I'm like doubling my money, but I don't have to go through borrowing the money to build or anything like that. You know, so she has 150 units that are, you know, about 25% full now, because she just finished this up and she, she has it appraised at $1.5 million. Yeah. So, I mean, longer term that there might be more dollars in that, but, uh, you know, your price points, you're going to be able to do more, do them quicker. Um, and, you know, unless you either have a lot of money, have access to investors, and at this point, you, you need operational and, and building experience as well, or, or a partner. Exactly. That. Yeah. Um, you know, some more parts. Uh, I've done new construction before, not for the storage facility, but on residential side. And it's not for the faint of heart. You got to have yeah. a strong stomach. You just got to have a strong stomach. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I mean, that's, that's what, 
we we focus on is is you know residential new construction and um you know i'm sure it's the same with with self-storage like you you know you, you need to be <laughs> willing to, to go through some stuff to to get those big returns exactly um, yeah so for three so it's going to take her probably about a year or so so let's say all in at like four years and then she'll have that. So I mean, like I said, four to five years for new construction, and then you can sell that thing and make some money on it. You know, the, the other thing we haven't hit on yet, and I wanna come back to finding the deals as well, but we haven't hit on the, the tax savings. Are, are most self-storage units good candidates for cost segregation? And, and the tax savings from yes, that? Yes, definitely. Every, like, yes, definitely. You definitely you want to be doing, I mean, you have to look at like, you know, are you going to be holding the property for X amount of years? So you need to really talk to your accountant about it. Right. But yes. Like if you're going to be holding onto these properties for a long term, then you, you want to look into cost segregation. And another really cool thing too about storage too, is that there are, there's a lot of them in, in opportunity zones. Okay. So who, so knows, can, who knows if can... we're going to have these, like, you know, how this later or not. Yeah. But essentially for now, like if you are in opportunity zones or anywhere, you know, all these kinds of areas and you want to build a storage facility or buy one, so many tax breaks for this as well. Yes. Yeah. So with, with cost segregation or opportunity zones, you know, if you have a really good capital gains on other projects or flips, you know, or things from your active income, you know, you might be able to finance the the down payment at least from from the tax savings or, or deferral um, that that you get from it. So that's, that's absolutely, I'm saying, and and the, and one thing another the one thing that I love too about self storage investing and owners of self storage invest as, like owners of self storage facilities is that a lot of them are very open to creative financing. Okay. Yeah. So I get, I get owners to finance their facilities because a lot of them, my, most of the ones I ever talked to, they're always free and clear. Right. You know, they've had these properties for 20, 30, 40 years and they just, you know, and so you have, you have to basically educate them on wh what this is, but a lot of them are very open. And the reason why is because they don't want to pay that capital gains. Yeah. So now maybe the deal is like, you, you know, I'll agree to your price, but, but you give me, but, but here's the terms I want. And, um, you know, they get, they get rid of the headache of managing it or, or, you know, if they've been doing it for years, maybe they're just tired of it. And now they're, yes. they're a bank and they're going to earn a higher coupon than, than they would, you know, if they put that in a bond or, or a, a bank account for sure. Yeah. Yeah, they can prolong that. I mean, essentially, if they own or finance it to you, then essentially they're only paying a little bit of those taxes over the course of X amount of years. And honestly, the truth is, is like I had one guy that, you know, I, I, I talked to him about owner financing and he was like, yeah, I want to do that. And I said and he was like and actually he was like 90. I think he was like 90 years old. And I was like, and he was like, I told him, you know, we can, we can do owner financing before, because I always just bring it up, you know? Right. And he was like, yeah, he's like, you know, I am really interested in that. And then, so we owner financed it. And then I was sitting at the, um, at the table, like the closing table with him. It was back in the day when you had to go to the closing tables. And like, and um, I was like, I was like, so I just want to, I have a quick question for you. I said, so why are you owner financing this? I was like, you're like 90 years old. I mean, you're, you don't know how, when are you, you don't know when you're going to die. And like, you know, you could, you could die so soon. He's like, yeah, I know. He's like, 
He's like, honestly, the truth is, is the reason I'm owner financing this is because all the money that I make is going to my wife to take care of her when I die. You know, so she, he owner financed it for like 12 years for me at like, you know, like 5% interest. I'm like, you know, why would I go to the bank and get a loan if I could just get this guy to do it, right? Right. And, uh, and I was just thinking to myself, I told him, I was like, man, when I grow up, I want to be just like you. Because essentially he did not care about that money at all. All he cared about was just taking care of his family. So when he leaves, I mean, they're going to be getting a $2,000 check every single month. I mean, that should, just that one facility and they had many right. other things. I was like, that is so smart. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's a win for everyone. So. Yeah, that's why I love underfinancing. So how how are you finding the deals? Yes. So we find, so I actually, I have an in-house acquisitions person now. I've completely delegated this off because the truth is, is that finding storage facilities, finding good deals, and you know this, like everybody knows this with anything, is like it just takes time. It takes a lot of time. And the way that I do it is completely different than pretty much everybody else out there. So most of the people are lazy, all right? And then <laughs> they just want to go to like Crexy, LoopNet, and the MLS and try to find storage facilities for sale, okay? But the truth of the matter is, is that everybody in the whole world is doing exactly the same thing as you. Okay. So, and, and the truth is, is that there is not a lot of storage facilities for sale in the world. There's just not. Okay. Right. So you have to, what you have to do is you have to go to the seller directly. Okay. So everybody, you know, where we all know this concept, even from the residential side, you go to the seller director directly and you try to convince the seller to, um, to find, um, to, to sell the, the facilities to you. Now, how do you find these facilities? What I do personally, or what my, what my acquisitions guy does now, is um, <clears throat> we drive for storage. That's what we do, we drive for storage, okay? Because the truth of the matter is, is that what you can do is you can go onto Google Maps, right? And when you go onto Google Maps uh, and you type in like self-storage you know, near me, Okay, you're gonna have all these storage facilities come up, all right? But, but the truth is, is that, do you know how hard it is to get onto Google Maps? Especially if you're like 60, 70, 80, 90 years old, <laughs> right? And most of these storage facilities, I'm gonna tell you every storage facility that we've ever bought does not have a mailbox, huh. all right? People, they do not get their mail going to these facilities. But in order to get onto Google Maps, you have to have a mailbox, right? Because what happens is you go onto like Google business listings and you register your company and then Google sends you a postcard and it has like a code and then you have to put that code in. They will only send you a postcard to that actual address, okay? So all the, all the storage facilities that you see are on Google Maps those are all people that have been through this process, right? And most of the time they're just like big facilities and they all have like a manager that manages this and tries to, you know, does all that for you, okay? All these tiny ones, all these ones that are like off market, off grid, they ain't doing that. I'm gonna tell you, they ain't doing that at all, right? 
And um, so you have to find those storage facilities is what you have to do. And so what we do is we kind of use Google Maps as like a kind of like a starting point, because I can guarantee you if you go and you look up storage facilities near you and you find all of them and drive to all of them, the same amount of storage facilities that you see on Google Maps are not on Google Maps. All right. And so we contact those that are not on Google Maps. And the only way to do that really is either looking like on Google Maps through satellite imagery, which we do, or driving for storage and literally oh, wow. just getting out there <laughs> and driving for storage. So, um, so it takes us a long time. So like my acquisitions person, he just went out this past weekend and he went like Friday, Saturday, Sunday and just drove. And he found, he found 20 storage facilities that were not on Google Maps literally not on Google Maps. And so then we contact those storage, those owners uh, directly and we try to get them to sell to us. All right. Okay. That's how we find our storage facilities. And I call that like an, a hit, like the hidden market is what I call it for self-storage. And there's a lot so, of, there's a lot of ways to go about doing that. So do, you just, do you just pick a town and then drive around for hours or how? So you have to like, so storage investing is all based on this. There's two things in the self-storage world. If you want to become a storage nerd, right? Uh, which I'm a storage nerd. Um, then you want to talk to, you want to talk about two different things. Number one is you want to talk about population of towns. All right. And then okay. number two is total square footage of towns. Okay, so you're going to be you're going to be looking at what can you number one, what can you afford? Can you afford, uh, you know, if can you afford what can you afford for that 20% down and just go off of like 20% down, right? And then you say, okay, look, I've got $50,000 or $100,000 or $200,000 that I can come up with for a facility. So then you say, okay, if I have $50,000, I know I have to be in a tertiary market. All right. So then you say, okay, I'm in, I can only afford tertiary markets in my area. And so now I know I need to be looking in tertiary markets, right? So now I say, okay, where do I want my facilities? Where do I want to have a facility at, to own a facility at? I always say like your first one should be within like two hours, right? Um, so you can tell you like a two hour radius, but if you're in like a huge, big metropolitan area, two hours, like, cause I have one of my students is like in Long Island. It's like two hours is like, he's still in like, he's like, you know, $30 million facilities. So you have to like figure out kind of your area, where is the secondary or tertiary markets that you can afford. And then you start looking on Google maps for those areas and you look for storage facilities in those areas. And they can be whatever town and you want to find and then you figure out within like a secondary or tertiary market, what population is it, right? So usually, so for in Georgia, the sweet spot would be like, my, our sweet spot is like 15,000, like 5,000 to 15,000, something like that towns. Like, cause in Georgia, essentially you have Atlanta, which is like the huge metropolitan and you have like, you have Augusta, you have Columbus, and then you have like little tiny towns like Augusta, I think has like 75, 80,000 people. Columbus probably has like maybe a couple hundred, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand. And um, like, then you have like little tiny towns that have like 50,000 maybe, but a lot of, most of the towns in Georgia, if you look at the population in Georgia, most towns are for between like 5,000 and like 20,000. All right. So you're going to, you're going to pick your 
you know, market size, town, and, and then just start driving in those areas. Exactly. And then, well, and then, yeah, and you, and then look on Google Maps okay. to see, like, you know, what's there. So it kind of gives you a pinpoint. And then find the ones that are not there. So, for instance, like in a town, like a little tiny town in, in Georgia called Waycross, um, <clears throat> we found like there is, um, I think I think it's a town of like ten or fifteen thousand. I can't remember how big it is. And uh, but there's like ten uh, facilities that we found, right? And uh, some of them are on the MLS, and some of them, some of them are on Google Maps, and some are not on Google Maps. All right. So we contact the ones that are not, not on Google Maps. How do you then, how do you contact them? You look up tax well, records, you know, the knock on doors. About, the best thing about self-storage is that when you're driving around and looking for these things, uh, the phone number is right on the sign. Gotcha. <laughs> so you don't do any skip tracing most of the time. Yeah. Any skip tracing or anything like that. Now we do find abandoned storage facilities. So if you are get really good at driving for storage facilities, you will find abandoned storage facilities. Now, when you're driving for storage facilities, you ain't rocking out to Aerosmith, all right? You are like, there is no music going on, or you have to stay focused because I'm telling you, these storage facilities are hidden. They're literally, that's why I call them the hidden market because they're truly hidden. The ones that are like on the main highways that you see all the times, those are primary market, like million dollar plus two million, three million dollar facilities. These little tiny ones that are less than a million dollars, they all hidden. So you can't be like, you know, listening to music and jamming out, right? You got to be like focused, looking for these things. All right. So, so one of the things I do, like, I'm like, when I need a break from my daughter and my husband, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go driving for storage facilities. And I'll just like for a whole day, drive around and uh you know try to find you know these hidden storage facilities and i did this for many many years and we just hired an acquisitions person this past year to do that he's doing awesome our goal is one a month this year and um but um up until then i just drove around and every facility except for my very first one that i told you was on the mls have all been from driving from storage but it just takes time you, uh what's what's your conversation like when you you find one and uh you know contact the the owner well and the best thing about driving for storage and, and what i love about the way i do this is that my marketing budget budget to find facilities is zero dollars literally zero dollars so unlike the residential side where like you're having to spend like a huge amount of money to find property right on the commercial side on the self-storage side like if you just get out there and drive for storage it doesn't cost anything except for gas money and time gas money right. yeah and then we'll and then what i do is i just call up the facility we just call up and say you know look we're just we're just interested in, in uh in uh you know buying your facility are you interested in selling and so he like like my acquisitions person just went out this past weekend and went driving for storage like all weekend, found 20 facilities. And out of 22 of them, we made offers on. And we're waiting back for those right now. So, um, so I mean, it's not difficult. It's just time consuming. Everybody's always worried about like, how do I find these? How do I fund these? That's the easy part. If you actually make it a priority, spend the time getting out there and actually looking and talking to sellers, it's really just time and effort. 
The hard part is when you buy it, running it so it makes a profit. And that's how it works. Awesome. Well, this has been super helpful and, and uh, inspirational and, and just, just cool to learn about. So I, I definitely hope some of our listeners and viewers today will, will take action and, and start thinking about this because it really seems like a way to, for some people anyway, whether they're an agent or a flipper or wholesaler to, to move away from things that are just always dependent on you doing activity to continue to generate money. So exactly. yeah, it's pretty cool to hear that you were able to take like four months off with your family, you know, during COVID and, um, you know, keep building this before we wrap up. I always like to do a hyper fast round. If you're ready for some rapid fire questions. Sure. and answers. All right. What's your biggest piece of advice to a new real estate investor? Surround yourself with people uh, that can that are that that have the same goals as you, right? So you don't so don't become an island. That's what I say. So truth of the matter is is that when I first got started in real estate investing, uh, it's just I just surrounded myself with people that were exactly like me. We all kind of motivate each other, help each other out. And so I think that's one of the, the one of the main reasons I got so successful. It's like don't become an island. Make sure you surround yourself with people people like you. All right. What about experienced real estate investors? What would you tell them? I mean, honestly, the same exact thing. The same exact thing is like, you know, you this is why we have masterminds and things like this, but like always surrounding yourself with people that are even better than you, you know, so you're pushing yourself like, oh, I need to do this, you know, so that's kind of that. Yeah, I'd say the same thing. What's the biggest challenge you've had in business and how did you overcome it? Honestly, I mean, when I was doing 15 rehabs at a time, that was not fun. I was making a lot of money, but it just wasn't fun. So the biggest challenge for me was, was, um, was doing all those rehabs and just like, it's just stressful. You know what I'm talking about? It's right. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm so glad, you know what? My life is so nice. It's just so like easy. Like my husband actually manages all of our storage facilities. Um, and he just like, he don't know what he's doing all the time. We don't do anything anymore. We're just like, you know, we, <laughs> we coach and like we have, we delegated everything off. So we just kind of like, you know, do our thing. It's so nice. What, uh, what would we find you doing when you're not driving for storage units or, or, or working in the business? We travel, we do a lot. We travel six to eight months out of the year. Uh, we did last year, we did four months uh, driving around and then we did a month in Tampa. We hung out at the beach. We did two months in Maine. So for my daughter for Christmas, we, she wanted snow. So we went to Maine and just like did snow stuff. Uh, so we're about to leave and uh, we're, we're leaving here the next couple of weeks. We're going to do a month in uh, Disney uh, in Orlando and go to Disney world a whole month. We're just going to, we didn't stay at a resort. All right. Um, so that's what we do is we travel. That's our thing. Awesome. Uh, last question. Where do you see yourself five years from now? I'm, you know, honestly, I'm a, I'm a facilitator. I'm a coach. I'm a facilitator um, and a teacher. That's really what I am. I mean, the storage facilities now are kind of like, it's a bonus. We have, you know, we just buy those whenever they come up, we'll buy those and manage those. It's super easy to do that now. Really, it's all about just sharing and teaching. And that's kind of my, my thing now. 
Well, I've, I've enjoyed uh, the, the teaching and sharing you've done today. Before we, we wrap up here, uh, if people want to learn more from you or, or, you know, you mentioned that you, you teach and coach, uh, what, you know, what are the best ways for them to get in touch with you or, or, or learn more about what you do? Just go to my website. It's stacyrosetti.com. And stacyrosetti.com, you'll see, like, we have, I have a mastermind. It's called Storage Nerds. So if you're like, if you're like listening to this, you're like, man, I really, this is like something I want to do, then essentially check out Storage Nerds. But essentially, other than that, I've got so many free trainings. Like, if you're just like, I just want to listen to Stacy Moore and see what's going on, you can sign up for all the free trainings. I'm on YouTube if you want to follow me on YouTube as well, too. How, how does the mastermind work, Storage Nerds? So it's group coaching. Okay. It's completely virtual. And uh, we meet every we meet every other week together as a group, and uh, either I'll have like either I'll teach I'll, I'll get up and I'll teach, or I'll have like guest speakers come on and teach, and um, and then we do um, and then we do boot camps once a quarter, and uh, and that's like a two day virtual boot camp, and we we focus on my my process is called find them find them fund them run them. And essentially Saturday is like all Saturday is finding them and funding them. And then on Sunday is running. And my husband teaches the running part. I teach the finding and the funding. We do deal analysis. And it's really, honestly, it's all about deal analysis in the self-storage investing world. It's the hardest part is, is this really truly a good deal? That's kind of right. the hardest part. So learning deal analysis and learning how to run numbers and things like that. That's kind of what we focus on. And, um, and then we do infield training days. So if anybody ever wants to come to Atlanta and hang out with me for the day, we actually go driving for storage and, uh, you know, we'll call up sellers and then I'll take you to a couple of my storage facilities. Um, so we do that. All students get to do that as well too. So, um, so that's the coaching program and yeah. Awesome. Well, check that out. If you're listening and, and want to learn more is, uh, stacyrosetti.com and, uh, Stacy, thank you for being on the show. And for everyone listening, watching, thanks for tuning in. If, if you got value out of this, please like, comment, share, all that good stuff. And we will see you next time. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hyperfat Show. Subscribe to us if you want to make sure you get the latest and greatest Hyperfat Shows. And remember, we love reviews. Reviews help us bring better and better guests and improve our shows. So give us the good, the bad, and the ugly. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time.